let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you this day. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together, fellowship, study your word together. Lord, we pray for uh, each one of us. We all are sinners, obviously. We pray for the Holy Spirit's filling. We also pray for his guidance through your word this evening and whenever we read the Bible. Lord, we do pray for Israel. We pray for the situation there. There, It seems to be ramping up even more. And we pray that you would bring that to an end. But, of course, we, that's your, your will be done, Lord, in that situation, of course. But we know you're on their side. You're not on Israel's side, so that's a good thing. And, Lord, we have uh, a lot of things going on politically in this country, and we pray that your guidance would be very strong, that we would be able to understand who to vote for, uh, who to uh, support, and so forth. And so, Lord, help us with that as well. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Marcy monologue. Okay. Um, lots of really cool stuff, and I'm, I'm going to try to blast through it. Interesting information. This first one, <laughs> I love the way this guy starts out the article. He says, I'm surprised the rapture hadn't happened yet. I'm going, yeah, me too. Um, he's saying uh, some things that, that are probably very true. He says, for the past several decades, world leaders have expressed their earnest desire to establish a two-state solution in Israel. And that's really a lie because anytime you ever hear that, if you really dig down into it, you find out that, no, we don't want a two-state solution. We want a one-state solution. We want Israel to be wiped off the map, and then we just take over. That's what we want. So that's, that's the key. Um, and also, he says, well, I'll get to the thing about the uh, eclipse in a minute, because there's really some good stuff about that. Uh, this is an interesting thing. The Pope has completely defected. You know, he never was a Christian in the first place. I think that's pretty obvious. He says that uh, he, it's okay for homosexuals to become priests. Uh, he also says the confession of Mary... Confession to the Mary, to Mary, Mother of God, of course, is presumably the same thing, or even even better than confessing to Jesus Himself. We understand that, but most Roman Catholics believe that. True Christian Roman Catholics don't, but the rest of them do. Um, we do. We know that the Pope has defected, and the reason I say defection, he says, it's a key end times signal. This article says. What he's saying is he's defected from the faith, which is common with true Christianity, the belief that God finds homosexuality to be an egregious sin. It's abominable, but the Catholic faith now, according to the Pope, says it's okay. So there's a, you know, what are we going to do about that? Apparently not much right now. He actually went into the uh, defense of how he stands, and he said this. This is kind of weird. Nobody gets scandalized if I, as Pope speaking now, nobody gets scandalized if I give my blessing to a businessman who perhaps exploits people. And this is a very grave sin. But they get scandalized if I give them to a homosexual. And this guy's saying comparing a businessman to a homosexual makes, makes as much sense as comparing a carpenter to a rapist. I agree with that. So it was just, it's hypocrisy of the greatest sort. Pope and, and his declarations, basically the latest being on the matter of sodomy and his opposition to his Catholic faith system, highlight just how near 
is that moment when Jesus foretold that he will be revealed and God's judgment will fall on a Sodom and Gomorrah-like people. And I agree with that. So that's, that's true, too. Um, let's see. Survey was done. I don't you love surveys? I, I don't. But uh, this is interesting. It's interesting to compare. A new Pew research came out. It says 28% of all U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. No religion, the nuns. The survey shows that most nuns believe in God or some other higher power. And I'm going, what? <laughs> anyway, uh, some other higher power, but very few go to religious services regularly. I get that. Most say religion does some harm. Many also think that it does some good. That's why I don't like polls. They're just stupid. That, that makes no sense. They're not uniformly anti-religious. Most nuns reject the idea that science can explain everything. Well, that's good because they can. But they express more positive views of science than religiously affiliated Americans do. And I get that too. The nuns tend to vote less than Christians. Do less volunteer work in their communities, follow public affairs at lower rates than religiously affiliated people. But the latest data shows that on a variety of measures, lower rates of civic engagement are concentrated among the nuns whose religion is basically nothing in particular. Pew Research in 2008, poll of 35,000 people indicated 57% of them, of American evangelicals, believe many religious religions lead to eternal life. 57%. 57% in 2008, 57% of 35,000 evangelicals said that many religions can lead to eternal life. Oh yeah, absolutely. In 2012, 20% of all American adults, 32% of adults under 18 had no religious affiliation. 68% said they believed in God. 88% said they were not looking for a religion. 2017, of a, a poll of 100,000 Americans indicated the religions of youth in America are becoming more non-Christian. Roughly a third of them are religiously unaffiliated, under 30. August 2017 said 37% of Americans could not name any rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. 85% didn't know the First Amendment guaranteed freedom of religion. 52% didn't know the freedom of speech was guaranteed. In other words, a lot of these polls, no, that's all I'm going to read, a lot of these polls reveal that people are pretty, pretty ignorant, willfully ignorant. Actually, they can just be ignorant, period. So. Interesting. Now I've got a few interesting facts about the, uh, about the eclipse that's coming up on April the 8th. Now this this guy went on and on and on and it was just, it was ad infinitum. I just, I lost interest reading it, but the parts that he said here at the beginning were pretty interesting. This is going to happen on April the 8th. It's going to make a path from the South West to the Northeast. Now one, another, uh, solar eclipse occurred in 2017, exactly seven years ago. And it made a path from the northwest to the southeast. So what's going to happen is that pathway was this way. This pathway is going to be this way. It's going to make an X, and there's going to be a spot in Missouri. It's going to be the X. 
point of the X. Now, what also makes that interesting is the Talmud tells us, that's Jewish writings, tells us that the solar eclipse is a sign or omen for Gentiles who base time on the solar calendar. And a lunar eclipse is a sign and omen for the Jews who calculate months according to the cycles of the moon. Didn't know that. So that's kind of interesting. Also, the total solar eclipse on April the 8th will occur at 2.21 p.m. Central Time here in Texas. And exactly 40 days later is Passover after that date. That's kind of interesting. Um, it's on May 19th, date for Pentecost. And that's, that's Jewish now. Our, our Easter is on the 31st of March. But Pentecost actually happens on uh, May 18th. So uh, the number 40 represents probation, trial, chastisement in the Bible. So what does that mean? I, I don't know. It said this sign of the cross actually forms a tav. Looks like a tav, a Jewish tav, which is the last letter of the Jewish alphabet, which means it means the end. Does that mean something? I don't know. Could mean something. Uh, and then he goes into a lot of other things that I'm not going to get into. He calculates all kinds of stuff. But I thought that was interesting. So that may be significant. So we're not going to pay attention to the solar eclipse on April the 8th. He does go into more detail, and this, is, this was kind of interesting, and I'm not going to share too much of this with you either, either, but he contradicts himself in his article, so I won't go into that either. But what he does point out is the fact that Jesus was not born where we say he was born as far as the year. Why? Herod, what did Herod do? He, he knew Jesus had been born, and so he said everybody in Bethlehem, an infant, two years old or younger was to be killed. Okay. And then Jesus was told by, excuse me, Joseph was told by Gabriel to, to move to uh, Egypt to avoid that situation. And so they did. Well, what we found out though, is that it's been firmly established that Herod died in four BC. Is that interesting? So Jesus was born prior to that. So we don't know exactly when, 5 B.C., 6 B.C., somewhere in that period of time. So if he indeed assumed his, his uh, ministry at age 30, which we think he did, we don't really know that for sure. I think he does mention that though in one place. That means he'd started in 27, not 30. Okay. So it's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Do we really know uh, when Jesus was resurrected is the point. It, it can be calculated. It was probably wasn't 33 ADs, my point. Is that a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. Just, just interesting. I like to look at things like that. It's just fun. Uh, now we get into Dr. Duck. Dr. Damon Duck. He is in his 80s. Hope he hangs on. I really do. He's really neat. I like the guy a lot. What he's talking about here is the two-state solution. First thing he talks about, Israel's finance minister said, there's no way we'd ever agree to a two-state solution. The Palestinians deserve a prize for the terrible massacre they carried out against us. The Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. 
Uh, he says, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. That's what they, they always say. And uh, articles are coming out talking about the proposed plan includes the steps that Israel previously refused. So there's all kinds of com commotion going on around that today. Nothing's going to happen to that. They're about to wipe out Hamas anyway, Palestine. I should say Gaza is going to be completely uh, brought back into Israel again. So there won't be a problem with the Palestinians anymore. That's a good thing. Excuse me? They're talking about the Jordan River. They say from the river to the sea. That means basically from the Jordan River of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, I, I talked about the Euphrates. God said the land from the Euphrates, which runs from basically Syria all the way down to the Persian Gulf, all the way down to Saudi Arabia, basically all that land in there, which incorporate Jordan, some of Iraq, all of that's supposed to be Jewish land, but it's not, but it will be. Has it ever been? No, it's never been, ever, no. Actually, the British... Uh, took over the Suleiman territory back in 1947, I believe it was, 46 maybe. And so they had all that land. This, the uh, that Arab uh, dynasty was taken over by the British. And so when the Jews came to them and said, we want our land, we want some land, Britain said, sure. And that was all that land, all the way over to the Persian Gulf. But then between the time when they actually said, sure, then all of a sudden, Saudi Arabians started having uh, consultations with Lawrence of Arabia, of all people. And he convinced them to say, no, you need to give a whole lot of that land to Saudi Arabia. And so they did. And then some others came in and said, no, we need to give a whole lot of land to the Jordanians. And they did. So they started cutting into that land. And so Israel just ended up with this little tiny slip over next to the Mediterranean Sea. But they originally, Britain was going to give them all that land. But it didn't work out that way. So... But Lawrence Arabia got in, got in the way. Isn't that interesting? Second thing on this one is concerning persecution. The International Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law, according to them, more than 8,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria this year. Wow. That's, that's terrible. Uh, the next thing... <laughs> February 15th reported that George Soros has bought 40% of the stock in the second largest radio broadcast company in America, 220 radio stations. What's he trying to do? Kill Christian radio. What's he trying to do? And he will. That too. Yeah. Stations are spreading anti-American beliefs. That's what some pundits say. Anti-American beliefs. Yeah. Cause Christians anti-American, you know, that. <laughs> so funny. Anyway. Uh, decline of America, coming persecution of believers. <clears throat> Pastor Jack Hibbs recently invited to deliver the invocation at the opening session of Congress. I don't know whether you saw his prayer, but it was very good. He invoked the name of Christ many times during that prayer, and it has set off a firestorm in Congress. It's like 50 Democrats want to uh, arrest Jack for doing what he did. Yeah, they complained that Hibbs is a radical Christian nationalist who helped fuel the January 6th insurrection. And he has a long record of hateful vitriol toward non-Christians, immigrants, and members of the LGBTQ community. 
And about 50 of those Democrats signed a letter and sent it to Jack Hibbs about saying those things. They say Hibbs offended them because he prayed about America's national sins. Oh, no. Uh, Dr. Duck says there's something rotten in Washington, D.C. I think we all know that. When many of our representatives think being a faithful Christian is wrong, wanting America to remain as a sovereign nation is wrong, and when they are offended by a preacher praying about sin in America. So these are things that everybody should be praying about, obviously. Well, Jack is proud to be in trouble. I, I know that for sure. De concerning departing from the faith, uh, according to a recent study at Arizona Christian University, author and pastor David Fiorazzo, and I don't know him, said a sobering conclusion of a brand new study is it appears America is on the precipice of Christian invisibility. Children are following to the, in the unfortunate spiritual footsteps of the generations that have preceded them, and this trajectory leads to the total abandonment of biblical Christianity in record numbers. Parents are not standing up for their kids. They're not standing up for Christianity, and we know that to be true. Uh, let's see. Iran's efforts to build nuclear weapons. This is something we should be concerned about, of course. I mentioned to you, I mentioned last night, that Iran attacked Pakistan about a month ago. And Pakistan re recuperated or, or retaliated against that. Didn't do much. It was just a, a battle. But they might get mad because the next thing Iran may do is, is use nuclear weapons on them if they get nuclear weapons. Pakistan is a nuclear country. They've had nuclear weapons for many years. So what could they do? They could wipe out Elam. They, the Jeremiah 49 prophecy about Elam being uh, wiped out, which is where all the Iran's nuclear facilities are located on the Persian Gulf. It could, it could come from Pakistan. It doesn't have to come from Israel. So Pakistan's right there, and right next door. They share a border, as a matter of fact, with uh, Iran. Well, that's an interesting thing. So we may see some stuff happen, folks. A lot of stuff may start happening here pretty quick. Battle of Mog, Gog, Mog and Gagog, as I almost said. Gog and Magog. Putin said Turkey has emerged as Russia's most reliable partner in the gas sector. Russia, Turkey, and Iran will team up with others to attack Israel on the Gog-Magog war. That's Ezekiel 38 and 39. And it's reported that Russia has invited the representatives of Hamas, Fatah, and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Liberation Organization, and others to Moscow on February the 29th to discuss Russia's growing criticism of Israel and its Western allies. Well, I'll tell you, the biblical prophecy is ramping up. It's just ramping up more and more. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Concerning a borderless world and an increase in drug use at the end of the age, on February 16th, a routine traffic stop by the Texas Department of Public Safety discovered $1.2 million worth of cocaine in one vehicle. A different stop in December 2023 discovered $10 million in meth and cocaine all coming from across the border. Biden's open border is enriching the drug cartels and killing U.S. citizens. Now the number, you know how many people now they actually estimate have come across the border in not only Texas, but New Mexico and Arizona and California? 30 million. That's the population of Texas, folks. That's scary. And most of them are young men. Crimes in their 
Absolutely. Well, they're they're arresting them, but then letting them go on bail. Try it. They're killing people and everything else. Concerning famine, the Biden Department of Agriculture allocated $130,000 to study the value of using crickets that have been fed municipal landfill waste as a source of protein for humans. There we go. The Department of Agriculture believes raising livestock uses too much of the world's resources, and it wants to know if feeding crickets waste from municipal landfills will lower the cost of cricket production so that it could be passed on to customers who need to save money by eating crickets. Gee, that's a good idea. No. Uh, let's see. I, I love it when they do things like this. The U.S. Government Accountability Office, the GAO, has come out and made this amazing statement. America's economy is on an unsustainable fiscal path. Really? Really? I just... Really? You think? Goodness gracious. And the last one is concerning the patent. Excuse me, the patient that Musk's company implanted a brain chip in on February the 20th, reported that Musk said the patient seems to have made a full recovery with no ill effects that the company is aware of. The patient can control a computer mouse and the system can read the person's intended movement and thoughts. That's transhumanism. That's what they want to do. Yeah, that's, that is scary. That is really scary. So I tell you guys, keep your eyes on Elon Musk. He is, in my opinion, just a fantastic candidate for the Antichrist. Now, we won't know who the Antichrist is because that's going to happen after we're, we're gone, but I, you might be able to tell. That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking he sure would be a good candidate. No doubt in my mind. Anyway, let's go on. Let's, we are in Luke chapter 8. This particular incident has always fascinated me, and I think it's probably fascinated you too. It's, it's, it's the... Uh, the time when, uh, if I get to the right place here, it's a time when the I would call him the uh, demoniac, and there were two of them, arrived when Jesus, after the storm, that Jesus calmed, and then they came to the area and got off the boat, and this, they were met by this one man, as far as Mark and, and uh, Luke are concerned, two men, as far as Matthew are concerned. We'll talk about the difference there but they were uh, possessed by many, many demons. As a matter of fact, the guy said his name was Legion. And a legion in the Roman army was 6,000 men, so he might have been possessed by 6,000 demons. That's why he was very strong. So anyway, it's always fascinated me. So let's get into that. Now, G.K. Chesterton, who was an English apologist, and his writings were instrumental in C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian, he actually said, when people cease to believe in God, they do not believe in nothing. They believe in everything. That's an interesting thought. I like that. This relates to us today because people who reject the one and only true God are fascinated with alternative realities. Legends of pagan mythology, they're, they're fictional beings and superhuman uh, powers and the occult and the paranormal and witchcraft and on and on, astrology, you name it all. They're all fascinated with that if they don't relate to God. 
And so the fallen human race compelled by fallen angels and demons will never understand the supernatural because they're not supernatural, obviously. And, but it does exist. And so what they end up doing is they end up believing anything anybody says. I mentioned that last night talking about how, uh, the WHO and Harari, the second man in WHO, w, excuse me, WEF, World Economic Forum, is trying to tell everybody that that uh, something big is going to happen one of these days soon. The extraterrestrials are going to come and they're going to take away all the people that are standing in their way. Right? Well, when people fantasize about the supernatural and the devil, uh, they are falling into deception, of course. And the Bible is the only source of accurate knowledge about the supernatural. And we get a little bit of a glimpse of that in this particular story. So and it's foolish to seek knowledge elsewhere because you're going to hear stupid things and you shouldn't pay any attention to them. I'm going to read you from Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> kind of a dramatic couple of verses here, verses 19 and 20 in chapter 8. It says, and when people, instead of putting their trust in God, shall sh say to you, Consult for direction mediums and wizards who chirp and mutter. Should not a people seek and consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Direct such people to the teaching and to the testimony. If their teachings are not in accord with this word, the word of God, it's surely because there is no dawn and no morning for them. So that's pretty straightforward. Even Isaiah says you shouldn't do the things people were doing here in Luke. So... When Christ came to the earth as the God-man to save his people from their sins, destroy the works of the devil, that's 1 John 3, 8, the devil started pumping up his activity. And so everywhere Jesus went, there were people just to drive the demons out. The demons were just ramping up like crazy. Well, that's happening today too. Why? Because the events of the Bible are ramping up. So the devil's activities are ramping up. So we're seeing a whole lot of that sort of thing today. So the frenzied outburst of demonic activity had happened during Jesus's time on earth. And he had to keep, keep removing demons. Obviously uh, it's probably the same thing going to be happening today. There's lots and lots of that going to be happening. And all those people coming in from foreign countries, how many of them are demon possessed? Maybe a whole lot of them. We don't know. So during Jesus's life, the devil wasn't attacking Jesus. What was he doing? He was basically attacking, or uh, the devil was attacking uh, people, right? The devil was uh, being attacked by Jesus, essentially, because Jesus was driving demons out of people. So the forces of Satan, which are the Nephilim, when Nephilim were created before the flood, they're half angel, half fallen angel, and half human. So therefore, their souls couldn't be redeemed. So when they die, they roam the earth as demons. And the fallen angels, of course, were still roaming around too. And that was a third of the angels. How many was that? Billions, probably. We don't know for sure. So there's a lot of evil things going on in our, in our atmosphere that we don't even see. And old idols, this is my opinion now, but I think it's pretty strong. Old idols they used to bow down to, made out of stone or metal or whatever, or wood. People would bow down to them, pray to them. Well, there's a demon or a fallen angel standing behind that, listening to their prayers. And demons and fallen angels have power. 
So if they ask for something, they'd make it happen. And so they think that idol answered their prayers. Actually, Satan did. So we're seeing that again today. People are, are turning to the supernatural. But we can learn about the supernatural in these kind of things here. What we see in this, in the presence of Christ, demons have no power at all. He is completely dominant over them. He has sovereignty over them. Why? He made them. He's creator God. So they can't, they can't do anything to him. And the Lord demonstrates his power over the devil and his minions. And it shows it real strongly in this particular chapter. So all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have this story in it. Uh, Jesus restores a demon-infested maniac and turns him into a missionary. Isn't that cool? From maniac to missionary. That's pretty slick. So Jesus demonstrates his divine power after he astonished his disciples on that boat by calming not only the wind, but the waves, just went stop and the waves stopped. I mean, you got to think the wind stop is not a big deal. We can, we have that happen in Texas all the time. It'd be windy one second and it'd be still the next. The waves have been going like 20, 30 feet waves on that sea. And he just said, and it was like a glass instantly. And they just went, who is this guy? He really must be God doing something like that. Yep, you got it right. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so now he demonstrates not only he has power over the, over the uh, elements, he has power over the enemy. Now we get into the destructive power of demons, and that's verses 26 through 28 of Luke 8. So let's read that. 26 through 28 and first part of 29. Yep, so I went to chapter 8. It says, I'm reading from the Amplified. Then they came to the country of the Gerasenes, and I'll talk about that in a minute. It's, it's called Gadarenes in Matthew, and I'll tell you why in a minute, which is opposite Galilee. And now when Jesus stepped out of on land, there met him a certain man out of the town who, had, who was possessed by demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he lived not in a house, but in the tombs, And when he saw Jesus, he raised a deep, terrible cry from the depths of his throat and fell down before him in terror, shouted loudly, what have you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? What do we have in common? I beg you, don't torment me. And the first part of 29 says, for Jesus was already commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So he thinks it's just a one spirit, right? Now, let me tell you about this garrison thing. Um, the destination of the boat was the country of the Gerasenes, which is on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the reason that's called the Gerasenes is because there's a little town there called Gerar. But in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, he refers to it as the country of the Gadarenes. And the reason for that is the actual, you call it the uh, county seat, so to speak, of that, of that area was a town called Gadara. So you've got the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, but it's the same land. Okay, so people say, see, the Bible made a mistake. No, <laughs> it's just the people who are around Gerar call themselves Gerasenes. The people around Gadara call themselves Gadarenes, but the same, same people. Okay, official name probably was Gadarenes anyway, but that doesn't matter. So after they landed on shore, this guy showed up, and now Matthew says there were two men instead of one. 
And they ran up to him and said, and they fell down in front of him. Why? He's God. They recognized him. So they said, why are you, why are you tormenting us? And what would they say that for? They know they're going to be sent to the, to the abyss. They know they're, they're going to be sent there, but not now. They know it's not now at that time. So they're saying, why are you doing this now? You know, you're not supposed to be doing this now. It's later. So um, we don't really know what happened to the other demoniac. Matthew doesn't really explain it. He actually alludes to the fact that the same thing that happened to one of them happened to both of them. But in, in Luke and in Mark, he just talks about the one guy. So anyway, the man referred to in Luke was a wild and out of control maniac. Demon possession, of course, is supernatural, obviously. And it is unexplainable in psychological or physical terms. Why? Because in physical terms, we don't notice much usually other than just strange behavior. But in this guy, he was chained up. Now, this, this, this is interesting. He might not have been possessed by many demons at one time, but he was still acting like a maniac. So the people probably were able to subdue him and put him in chains and shackles. But what happened? He got possessed by more demons, and he just broke the shackles. And then he was so powerful that nobody could do anything to him. They couldn't even approach the guy because he'd rip them apart. So he had so many demons, he was so strong. So um, when Jesus drove out demons, and that's really all they do is just say, come out of him, because that's all he had to say. There wasn't any forgiveness of sins. He did that with individuals. He just says, come out of him. There was no forgiveness of sins associated with that. There was no repentance associated with that, with that, no belief at the time of the removal of the demon. But many people did come to belief after that. So the, the point is, this particular commentary I was reading was talking about people associate with removing a demon, you automatically become a Christian. And that's not true. Jesus healed anybody that came to him. They didn't have to believe. He drove out demons of anybody that didn't have to believe. But many of them did because they, then they stayed and listened to this man who, who freed them from a demon and want to find out what he has to say. And many of them believed because of that. So that was an interesting point. This guy also lived in tombs among the dead, so to speak. And there he was a danger not only to himself, but he consistently cut himself all the time. It says he cut himself with sharp stones, probably because the demons wanted him to die. And then he was bizarre and dangerous. He was restrained, but he broke all the restraints. And I think his demon, demonic strength increased because he was able to do that later after they got him uh, bound. Mark 5.34 says no one was strong enough to subdue him. So obviously something happened. They were able to subdue him at one time and then but couldn't later. So these two demoniacs spotted their, their potential victims coming from boats. They thought, oh boy, here we go. We get to tear these people up. So they ran toward him, shrieking and howling and everything. They cried out. But then they saw who it was and they fell down and said, why are you doing this to this Jesus, son of God? What business do you have with us? And so they knew it wasn't the time for that to actually happen. So they were work. don't torment us. Now we look at uh, the rest of 29 and go from 30 to 35. We're talking here about the power of Jesus over possession. So finish, let's just read all of 29 again. It says, for Jesus was already commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
For many times it snatched and held him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and fetters, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus then said to him, what is your name? And he answered, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the bottomless pit. Now a great herd of swine was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him to give them leave to enter the pigs. And he allowed them to do that. Then the demons came out of the man, entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep cliff into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw that what had happened, they ran away, told it in the town and in the country. And the people went out to see what had occurred. They came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were seized with alarm and fear. Now, well, there's so much in that. First thing is he was seized by perhaps 6,000 demons. And the panicked demons didn't want to go to the abyss. Why? Because they would have had no freedom there. They would have been confined. They would have to be there forever, and they didn't want to go there. They still were free. So they asked to go into the pigs. Now, I've always struggled with that. Either the pigs couldn't stand being possessed, and so they ran into the water and drowned themselves, or the demons wanted to do that because that way they'd be free to go wherever they wanted to go, perhaps. I think Jesus sent them to the pit anyway as soon as they drowned the pigs. So don't know that for sure. I think they did. But then the, the herdsmen saw what happened, ran into town to tell everybody what Jesus had done. Now, I think the people came back out for the major reason. We'll talk about that. But I think one of the secondary reasons might have been, gosh, if we run out there, we might be able to pull all those pigs back in out of the water, <laughs> slaughter them, and get the pig meat back, you know, and get the pork. Really. I mean, 2,000 pigs? You know, they think there's as many as 2,000 pigs in that herd. So... We don't know for sure, but that's not the main reason they came back. Let's talk about that. The panicked demons didn't want to go to the abyss, obviously, and Jesus said, yeah, fine, go into the pigs. But uh, the people heard about this, and they wanted to know what the heck happened, so they came running out of the city, which wasn't far away, to find out what happened. And initially, they probably were thinking about the pork, but they were astonished to find that maniac sitting there his right mind and clothed because he'd never been clothed before. So that, it indicates there was quite a bit of time between the fact when they, the herdsmen ran into town and got the people all arranged to come back out again. The demoniac had then had the time to say, Jesus, what am I going to do now? And Jesus probably told him about believing me and so on and so forth. You know, you, you can approach uh, salvation by believing what God says. when he was possessed knew Jesus much better than a lot of people around he was there supernaturally they saw who Jesus was supernaturally so you know obviously they knew who he was immediately you bet they knew him yeah because he's their creator well I wonder if he held on to that experience after they were gone yeah you wonder yeah probably did he probably said wow tell me about yourself you know yeah This was a pagan Gentile community. Absolutely. They were raising pigs. So these were not Jews. These were not Jews. That's true. That's exactly right. 
So you'd expect the people to rejoice that this man had been delivered from all the demons, right? Well, they probably weren't because the guy wasn't even from that area because Jesus sent him away to go back to his people. So he really wasn't even from the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. So they said they were frightened. It says people went out to see what had occurred. They came to Jesus, found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at his feet of Jesus, clothed and everything, and they were seized with alarm and fear. Now, why would that be? They came out to see what went on. They came into the very presence of God. What happens if you come into the presence of God? You're immediately convicted of your sin. They were afraid. Now, these people were pagans. They didn't know how to deal with that. They never felt that before. They never had to deal with that before. They never had to deal with their sin. All of a sudden, they come out there standing in Jesus' presence. Jesus convicts them because of his presence of their sin, and they get afraid. What are we going to do about this? So they actually say, please leave us. Go away. That not tell us why we feel the way we do. What can we do about that? They didn't feel that way. The demoniac did, but these people didn't. And so they were afraid. I, thought, I think that's probably the major reason that this happened the way it happened. So they came out and they found out that Jesus is something else too, because the demoniac was not demonic, was not possessed anymore. Jesus had power over these demons. This is something that shake you up too. So uh, they insisted they, they instead were frightened. Like I said, the Greek word is used there for frightened is phobio, which is where we get phobia from. So you get the idea there. They were instantly aware of their sin in the presence of God. So power of sin over the lost now is in verses 36 through 39. So let's read that. It says, and those also who had seen it told them, how he who had been possessed with demons was restored to health. And all the people of the country surrounded, surrounding the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes as it is, district, asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were possessed and suffering with dread and terror. So he entered a boat and returned to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. But the man from whom the demons had gone kept begging and praying that he might accompany him, accompany Jesus, and be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home, recount the story throughout of how many and great things God has done for you. And the man departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So the man, the maniac, demoniac, basically the maniac, demoniac, you know, was turned from a maniac into a missionary. And people would listen to him. Oh, you're that, hey, you are that guy but you're in your right mind. Oh my goodness, what happened? You tell them exactly what happened. So the people should have inquired how to get free from their sin, but they didn't want to do that because they were pagans. They believed in some other God. So they probably wanted to go back and consult with their God on what we should do. So they didn't want to do that. Most today do the same thing. The power of sin, basically the desire to remain in sin remains in many people. They don't want to know how to get rid of their sin. They're happy in their sin. So even in the very presence of God, perhaps, that story comes back to mind of, of the rich man and Lazarus. When he, was, when he died and Lazarus died and they both went to Hades, of course, Lazarus being a good man went to Abraham's bosom side and the, and the rich man went to the bad side. And when the rich man looked across the chasm and saw Lazarus talking to Abraham, he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here with some water so you can quench my thirst, basically. 
And Abraham says, no, we can't do that. He said, well, send Lazarus back. Talk to my brothers and tell them, repent of your sins or you'll come down here where I am. And what did Abraham say? Even if someone from the dead went back, they wouldn't believe you. Same thing happens with this. Even if Jesus could stand in front of people today, they wouldn't believe or they'd say, no, I can't understand that, but it's the truth. So there was no thanks for delivering the man from their demons, from his demons. They saw Jesus as a threat. Why? A threat to their lifestyle. He's going to make me do something I don't want to do. He hit them in the pocketbook too. Destroyed all those pigs. But he also destroyed their way of life. So, sadly and tragically for the Gadarenes, or the Gerasenes, Jesus got into the boat and went back home. They delivered the former demoniac, and he wanted to go with them. But Jesus said, no, I got a better idea. I want you to go back to your people and tell them what happened. And maybe they'll turn back away from their sin towards God. So he became a missionary for the repentance of sin. Now remember, this is still the age of the law. Jesus hasn't died and been resurrected yet. So this is still, they're still under the law at this time. So basically the, what everybody needed to do was confess their sin, ask for and repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness of their sin. And if they followed God from then, then they'd be counted as righteous. Just like all the Old Testament saints. Mark 5.20 says everyone who heard this man was amazed. They would be, obviously. So what do we learn from this? I got four things. Jesus has absolute authority over demonic possession. Any demons, any fallen angels. Number two, the good news is for Gentiles as well as as Jews. I'm pagan Gentiles on top of that. Number three, God reaches out to those who reject him. He reached out to all those people. Remember, whenever he went out, people followed him so they could get healed of sicknesses and also healed of demon possession. And he didn't have any quandary about healing everybody. He healed everybody, regardless. That's the same thing with salvation. People fuse Christianity and accuse us of being separatists and isolationists and everything else and, and cruel in our, in our practices. But that's not true. Because Christianity and Christ is available to anyone. We don't discriminate. And number four, all of us must tell others about Jesus and his power to deliver from sin. Just like the maniac. He went back to home and told everybody what happened. So isn't that cool? Anybody have any comments about this? Second one is good news is for Gentiles as well as Jews and even pagan Gentiles, even pagan Jews. <laughs> There's some of those too. It's for everybody. No discrimination. This, this story fascinates me. It fascinates me too. Uh, in that, let the man that Jesus is <laughs> and then he'd been delivered.
let me tell the people that are online that Mary was bringing up the fact that maybe the reason Jesus didn't want the demoniac to go with him could be two reasons, obviously to go back and tell everybody what had happened to him. Sure. But maybe if he had accompanied Jesus, people would have looked at that demoniac and said, that guy was nuts. I don't, I don't trust him because I don't know him. So they might've thought this is not a good thing to have that guy following Jesus around. But if he goes back home, they know who he is. And so they see he's been delivered from his demons. So they would say, wow, this is a miracle. And they would be positively impacted by it. It's a good point. You bet. Missionary to his family and friends and neighbors. Yeah. Interesting. Good point. That's why I married her. She's smart. <laughs> Oh, no kidding. Yeah, really. Francine Rivers, right about the demoniac. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wrote about Hosea, so that's what that's the only one I read read of hers, but it's really, really good. Like the life of Hosea. Anybody else? Any other comments about this? Okay, cool. Let's pray. Lord God, you give us some very interesting stories something we haven't seen in our lifetime, some, some man possessed by 6,000 demons. But we might very well see something like that now with this invasion of all of these people from other countries. You know, the uh, biggest majority of people that have come across the border in, in California are from China. That's a scary thing, too. And no telling what kind of demons they could bring because there's very few quick Christians in China. So, Lord, that could be the kind of thing we could see manifest in front of our very eyes here in the near future. But you know what, that, and you know that we've seen these stories. We understand that Jesus has control over all demonic activity of any kind. So all we have to do is stand firm on the Word of God, and we'll be protected from that. Lord, thank you for these stories, though, because we see the intricacies of Jesus' life. The fact that he did things for the right reasons and he spread the gospel wide and far, and it's still happening today. In spite of all the opposition and all the corruption, it's still happening today. People are coming to Christ by the thousands, which is a wonderful thing. So, Lord, thank you for these stories. We love them. We know they're true. We know they really happened, and we know that Jesus is as strong as we know he is. He is, has control over everything. He is sovereign. He is creator God. So thank you, Lord, for these. Lord, bless us, keep us, keep us safe, keep us uh, on track to share the gospel whenever we can, because time is indeed short. Thank you for this time together, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.